on your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Arike Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish and this weekend's championship games in the National Football League Sports Radio 960. WSBT, of course, our streaming is available right now at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. Just go to the iTunes or Google Play Store to get your app. It's free, and all you have to do is search WSBT radio with the app. You can listen to us live or the show on demand. Our Twitch app also has the audio available today. It is 8 minutes after 5 o'clock. Not sure where you are listening to the program from. Always have to say that with streaming. We get reaction from all across the United States and every once in a while from around the world. But if you're not in the Midwest, I hope you're enjoying a beautiful sunny day because it is a snowy day in our part of the country. It's not cold. That's the good news. It is a snow that you can make a snowman with, which is great. At least it's not freezing cold, but we've got quite a bit of snow on the ground here in the South Bend area. Well, coming up over the next two hours on Budweiser's weekday sports beat, I've got a guest coming up at 6.05. He's my Wednesday regular, Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. The website, blueandgold.com. We are going to talk about various Notre Dame football topics and some of the things that I have written down that I want to talk to Tyler about. You know, he's done a lot of video analysis work, analysis work, excuse me, on new starting quarterback for the Irish Sam Hartman. So after watching all that tape, I'm curious to get his reaction to this. How much does the Irish offense change this year with Sam Hartman? as the starting quarterback. And the secondary question would be, Marcus Freeman has stressed he wants to be able to run the football. Even when the opposition knows it's coming, you got to be able to run the football. Is that going to be the attitude of this year's team? Hey, you still have to run the football. Don't get me wrong, but there's a big difference between the Irish quarterbacks last year and Sam Hartman this year. So we'll have those Notre Dame offensive conversations coming up. Tyler also covers Notre Dame women's basketball. We'll get his thoughts on the Irish without Dara Mabry, who is now lost for the season, and her career unfortunately is over 
after suffering a torn ACL Sunday against Virginia. The Irish will take the floor once again tomorrow night at home against Florida State. That's an 8 o'clock tip. And you can hear the game on our sister station, live 99.9 pregame coverage comes your way at 7.45 tomorrow night. So we'll talk to Tyler at 6.05. Also on the program this evening, we've got a little, and I mean a little recap on Irish basketball, the difficulty of the Big Ten Conference this year I want to get to. One other Notre Dame basketball topic I want to get to that doesn't focus on last night's loss to North Carolina State to drop Notre Dame to now 1-9 and nine of the ACC, and that is J.J. Starling. He's the one guy of note that will be back next year. Is there any chance he might go elsewhere? We'll have that conversation coming up. The My Five today centers around Scott Rowland, the only person voted by the baseball writers into the Baseball Hall of Fame yesterday. So who are my top five players who have the best chance to be voted in next year? Two of the five on my list are first-year eligible. So we'll have that list coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. It was a good sizzler last night, going 3-1 and one in our sports wagering picks. We'll try to build on that with a few more picks coming up tonight. Now, there is some breaking news tonight surrounding the Indiana Hoosiers basketball team. It has been announced within the hour that head coach Mike Woodson will not Coach tonight's game at Williams Arena in Minneapolis against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Woodson is recovering from COVID. So associate head coach Yasir Roseman, who was in charge of the scout for this game against Minnesota, he's going to be the person in charge of handling all the media obligations in Woodson's absence. So... It is going to be Mike Woodson away from his team tonight. The Hoosiers taking on the cellar dweller of the Big Ten, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Indiana has won four in a row. I'm sorry, they've won three in a row looking for their fourth straight win. The Golden Gophers are hoping to end a three-game losing streak. Indiana and Minnesota from the old barn, a 9 o'clock tip in Minneapolis tonight. The basketball facility I'm referring to as the barn is right next door to Mariucci Arena, the home of the Minnesota Golden Gopher hockey team and traveling with the Irish there several times now. It is an old building. I've not been on the inside. I've looked through the doors. Can't see a whole lot. But that building, compared to what you see nowadays with these new facilities, it is an old-looking facility. I'm sure the lack of success of the Gopher program, lack of support has prevented a new building to be constructed because they are way behind the times. And, of course, Minnesota's facility known for that high floor that if you go sliding off the floor, you go for a bit of a tumble. So, Indiana, Minnesota tonight, 9 o'clock, and Mike Woodson will not coach the team as he recovers from COVID. All right, 514 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT, and it's time for our hat trick of opening topics. Three cents of topics coming your way, and we start with a little college football conversation. The Georgia Bulldogs have not lost a football game since they lost 
the SEC championship game two years ago to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Since then, they have ran the table twice, back-to-back national champions, the first time that has occurred in the playoff era, and the first time a team has gone back-to-back, and the Irish know all about this stat, unfortunately, Bama going back-to-back in 11 and 12. So the Bulldogs are on top of the mountain in college football. Stetson Bennett's 25 years old. I was thinking about this today. He's older than most of the quarterbacks left in the NFL playoffs. Just bizarre. So a 25-year-old quarterback wins the college football national championship. Now, Bennett's gone finally, and I'm sure Georgia's going to lose a handful of their really good defensive players like they did the year before, but that didn't slow them down. I will say, Bennett and that offense carried the load a tad bit early on in the year until that Bulldog defense got where it needed to be, and they got there all right. But the offense was pretty doggone good, but they don't have a veteran presence and a quality playmaker in Bennett as he is finally out of eligibility. So it looks like Carson Beck, who has been behind Bennett for three years, started one game. He might be the guy for Georgia in 2023. You start thinking about a three-peat, which might be hard to do when you consider you just don't know what George is going to get out of the quarterback position, and that's from the outside looking in. Heck, who knows, Kirby and his staff might be thinking the next guy is going to be just as good as Stetson Bennett. And then the SEC and everybody else is in a world of hurt once again. We'll wait and see. But without knowing who exactly they are going to be, you take a look at the Georgia Bulldogs schedule, And this is unfair because I just mentioned we really don't know the makeup of this team, how good they're going to be. But it almost feels like based on the schedule, knowing Kirby Smart, what he has done there in Athens, pencil in for the playoff already. In fact, maybe put it in permanent marker because you look at their schedule and you wonder if Georgia is anywhere close to the team they have been the last couple of years, who's going to get them? Here's a look at the Georgia 2023 schedule. They open, probably have a banner ceremony or something for the title team. They celebrate while staring at them across the field is the University of Tennessee Martin. Should be okay there. Then you got a little chirp chirp coming your way. Ball State will be in Athens on September the 9th. Okay, I think it's fair to say 2-0 is pretty realistic. September 16th, Georgia opens SEC play against the team that Notre Dame beat in the Gator Bowl. Spencer Rattler and the Gamecocks of South Carolina. The game is in Athens between the hedges. Georgia could be okay. They've lost a couple of key players to the portal, you might recall, leading up to the Notre Dame game. We talked about some of the players that were out but they've got a capable quarterback, but very winnable. A four straight game to start the year. Georgia will take on UAB. I think they're now coached by Trent Dilfer, if I'm not mistaken, the former Super Bowl championship quarterback with the Baltimore Ravens. Then their first true road game, or first road game overall, 
Georgia goes to Auburn on September the 30th. Should be okay there. October 7th. It's going to be Kentucky at Georgia. Devin Leary, the former North Carolina State quarterback, now resides in Lexington. He'll be the Wildcats' new starting quarterback. But Georgia likely will be a big favorite there. Then on October the 14th, Georgia heads north to take on Clark Lee and the Vanderbilt Commodores in Nashville. After all these tough games, they have earned themselves a bye on October the 21st. Next up for Georgia, as they begin the back end of their schedule after the bye, the old cocktail party game in Jacksonville against the Florida Gators. Okay, that's pretty winnable. Then Missouri in Athens, November 4th. Missouri had Georgia down 10 in the fourth quarter in Columbia last year before Georgia roared back to win. Georgia on November the 11th, another home game against Ole Miss, who have brought in, I think it feels like, 62 transfer portal quarterbacks. Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, the most recent. And the final two games of the year for Georgia are on the road. This is where it gets a little interesting. Now, if they're undefeated going into this game, you have a feeling they might be still okay. But Georgia's big, big challenge They go to Rocky Top November 18th to take on the Tennessee Volunteers. And then they wrap things up with almost an exhibition game in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. So for Georgia in the regular season, no Alabama, no LSU. I hate to bring their name into this, but Texas A&M, I guess... Kind of a good opponent. Kind of. None of those teams from the West are crossover opponents. Like it or not, the SEC does a better job than anybody else in college football in protecting their moneymakers. The goal is to get as many teams into the playoff as possible. Right now, the SEC can get two out of four. When we expand to 12 teams, they might get four or five. And be prepared, there might be, like we saw in the final four in 85 with three Big East teams making it to the final four. Or in college hockey in 2018, Notre Dame and two other Big Ten teams made the Frozen Four. Get ready for multiple teams in the final four, maybe three. Who knows, four at some point. Don't say it won't happen. But here's the thing. The SEC takes care of their elite so they can get to the playoff and make everybody in the conference money. I mean, Georgia and Alabama never seem to cross pass in the regular season. Why would you want Georgia playing Alabama or LSU right now? Honestly. If you're the head of that corporation, why would you put in jeopardy one of your premier teams? Is it fair? No, it's not. But again, put yourself in Mr. Sankey's shoes, and they're actually pretty smart down there where it means more, right? I think that's what they say. 
Georgia's set up for another big run at the college football playoffs in the national championship. And you look at their schedule, South Carolina at home, is that a game? <sighs> at Auburn, no. Florida, neutral field, probably not. I'll throw Ole Miss in there just because of Ole Lane. You never know what's going to happen. At Tennessee's the game. Otherwise, that is pretty smooth sailing for the two-time defending national champions. Hat trick topic number two to start the program, the Notre Dame basketball team. The woes continue. Fourth consecutive loss last night. They lose at North Carolina State 85-82. This was a wacky game. The Irish down 11 in the first half, up 7 in the first half, down 9 in the second half. They fall by 3. The good news, 82 points scored the most in a road game this year. There was a lot of stats that pointed toward a victory. Stats can be overrated, but these stats make you feel like they could have won the game. They shot 51.9% from the field. That has the feeling of a a team that had a pretty good chance to win when you shoot that well. 9 of 21 from 3, 42%, pretty good. 17 of 21 from the free throw line, 81%, we'll take that. And we know how difficult it is for Notre Dame to rebound. The Irish were plus 9 in the rebounding category last night. You hear those numbers and you feel like, gosh, Notre Dame must have won. They didn't. Unfortunately, the defense gave up 85. And the Notre Dame offense helped the North Carolina State offense get to 85 because Notre Dame turned it over 15 times last night and the 15 turnovers turned into 18 Wolfpack points. Those are killers on the road. So a lot of good stuff in the stat column, but that turnover number, not good. Cormac Ryan who has been struggling from the outside, found his shooting eye last night, six of eight from the field, five of six from three, 19 points. J.J. Starling, the freshman, seven of 14 from the field, 18 points, seven rebounds, three assists. This is almost hard to believe, but the Irish are now nine and 12, and they have fallen to one and nine in the ACC. There are still 10 regular season games to go for the Irish, including a game on Saturday at Purcell Pavilion. The tickets are really, really cheap for this game. Notre Dame came out with a special deal today. Notre Dame and Louisville will play at Purcell Saturday at noon. Hear the game on WSBT Radio pregame, 11.30 a.m. One and nine of the ACC. Wow. Like this is a dream. It's hard to imagine the Irish are one and nine, but I guess this dream has become a nightmare at this point. Let's see if they can figure out a way to win a game on Saturday against a really poor Louisville basketball team. All right, 526 at WSBT. Hat trick topic number three of three. And I want to spend a moment talking about Notre Dame hockey in the Big Ten Conference this year. First off, since Notre Dame has joined the conference, it has been great for Notre Dame. It has been fantastic 
for the Big Ten. They needed another high-end squad to get the conference up to seven teams. Notre Dame hockey's been good for the Big Ten and vice versa. It is a tough challenge every weekend in the Big Ten. And this year is no different. This might be the most difficult season in terms of competition level in the Big Ten. It is just difficult every week. Now, the Parawise is a computer formula slash ranking I talk about all the time. A lot of data goes into the Parawise, but it helps to decide the at-large teams for the NCAA tournament and the seeding of teams in the NCAA tournament. So when we talk about net rankings in college basketball, this is similar, but I would say that the Parawise to college hockey is more important than the net to the selection committee for college basketball. But going into this weekend's action, the Big Ten Conference in the Parawise, here is how they are ranked. The number one team in the Parawise and the team I voted number one in my USCHO.com national poll this week, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. The Irish went 0-3-1 against Minnesota this year. The number three team in the Parawise is Penn State. The Irish split with the Lions in University Park last weekend, went 2-2 two two overall against the number three team in the Parawise. Number seven, also from the Big Ten, the Ohio State Buckeyes. The Irish and the Buckeyes split a two-game set in Columbus earlier this year. The eighth-ranked team of the Parawise, the Michigan Wolverines. Notre Dame and Michigan each won a game in South Bend. In the first half of the year, they will meet in the final series of the regular season at Yost. So four teams in the top ten of the pairwise from the Big Ten. Michigan State, not too far off. The Spartans, who are having a rebound season. They haven't been this good in some time. The Spartans are 13th in the pairwise. Notre Dame played Michigan State the first series of the conference season at home. A win and a tie. Notre Dame is 15th right now in the pairwise, and their record is under 500 for the season. But yet, because of the strength of schedule of Notre Dame, they are in the mix for the NCAA tournament. The Irish are 15th. And finally, the team in last place in the Big Ten is Wisconsin. Out of 60 teams in the pairwise, Wisconsin's 33rd. So they're basically middle of the pack and they are last place in the Big Ten. So the Irish against this very difficult conference, not the type of record you're expecting from a Notre Dame team, but right now the Irish five wins, eight losses, a couple of overtime slash shootout wins and an overtime shootout loss. 20 points in 16 games put the Irish in fifth place. The good news is they're only four points behind Michigan State for fourth place. That's important because fourth place hosts the Big Ten Tournament quarterfinal best of three series. Fifth place goes on the road. So the Irish only four points behind Michigan State. They will play them twice in East Lansing coming up. The bad news is Michigan is in sixth place, two points behind the Irish. Michigan has two games in hand on Notre Dame and they will host the Irish to end the regular season. So 
you could jump Michigan State. The problem is there's a pretty good chance Michigan could jump the Fighting Irish and Notre Dame might finish fifth or sixth in the Big Ten, which means they go on the road for the best of three Big Ten tournament quarterfinal. Now, it's not out of the question that Notre Dame could get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, but they're going to have to play well. They're going to have to play better than they have throughout this season. Now, the last two weekends against number one and number three in the country, you know, they performed okay. A win, two losses, and a tie. The record probably doesn't indicate the fact that they played better hockey in those two series than they have earlier in the year. The results just probably were not equal to their quality of play. But the point is this. The Big Ten right now is a meat grinder, and Jeff Jackson's squad has to be ready each and every week for the challenge that comes with being a Big Ten member. Well, you know, that's what people don't understand. Like, I mean, this is like the old days when we were in the CCHA or even when we were in Hockey East. There was always a half a dozen teams at the bottom of the standings that maybe you could beat up on a little bit. And that's not the case in the Big Ten, you know. I mean, and that's why the non-conference games are such a, you know, critical thing at all. We're just one game over 500 non-conference-wise. So, you know, for me, it's the, the challenge is, you know, is trying to get through the gauntlet. And it's not just us. Every team has to do it. I mean, you look at how good Ohio State's been uh, the majority of the year, and they went in Wisconsin last year, scored one one goal, you know. So, you know, that Wisconsin is the last place team on paper, but, you know, they beat us. They beat Michigan. Um, I mean, in the last month, they've, they've, they've had their share of injuries with guys out, too. So, They've gotten healthy and they've gotten guys back from the World Juniors and things like that. And now, you know, I think Tony's got his first roster, complete roster for the whole season here in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, and then they're they're a dangerous team for whoever plays them the rest of the way and then certainly into the playoffs. And we're still, you know, they're still not locked into last place. I mean, three point games like it only takes one good weekend or one bad weekend for a team and you move up or down the standings pretty, pretty easily. Irish head coach Jeff Jackson on the quality of the Big Ten. Wisconsin at Notre Dame at the Compton coming up Friday at 7.30, Saturday at 6 o'clock. Tickets are available. Hear both games on the Notre Dame radio network. I'll have the call on our sister station, Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. We'll get the pregame started Friday night at 7.15. And those are my three hat trick topics to start the program. The interesting look that is the Georgia Bulldogs football schedule for this year. Notre Dame basketball falls to 1-9 of the ACC. And the difficulty of being a hockey member of the Big Ten this year. 5.33 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett. Coming up next, there's a lot of players leaving the Notre Dame basketball program due to being out of eligibility. But there is a great building block that is a freshman this year. The next coach has something to build around. Will he have that chance? We'll talk about that coming up in a couple of moments as Sportsbeat continues on this snowy Wednesday evening in downtown South Bend on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
Starling around to Leshevsky, pick to the right wing, crosses over towards the middle, picks it up, fall away, 14-footer from the left elbow for J.J. Starling goes in. He's got eight points, and the lead's down to four. 60-56, NC State on top. That was Tony Simeone last night on the Notre Dame Radio Network. Heard right here on WSBT Radio. J.J. Starling hitting that jump shot. The freshman guard with 18 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists in the contest. Allowing the Irish to have a chance to win the ball game in Raleigh, but Notre Dame came up short once again, falling to the Wolfpack 85-82. is our time on this Wednesday evening. My name is Darren Pritchett. Welcome back to the program. Well, this Notre Dame basketball program is definitely going through a major transition. When they take the floor next year for their first game, it'll be the first time in 23 years that someone other than Mike Bray will be coaching this Notre Dame basketball program. As you probably know, Mike last week made the announcement he is leaving the basketball program at the conclusion of this year, the all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame basketball history. 13 trips to the NCAA tournament, two Elite Eights, but a rough year this year, and apparently it was time to make a transition. And when you think about who's leaving with Mike Bray, players out of eligibility, guys that have been around here a long time, Nate Lashevsky, Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, Trey Wirtz. You also add into the fact the transfer from Niagara, Marcus Hammond, is going to be moving on as well. So a lot of key parts leaving this program. And you look at the roster, just right now, what's left? You've got a couple of guys who have combined to play a total of 57 minutes this year, two big guys in Matt Zona and Dom Campbell. They appear to be barring a major change in their development, they are part-time players. You've got Van Allen Lubin, who is a really interesting young player, a freshman this year, had some physical issues early on in the season, but has played you know okay this year, 56% from the field. He's played in 19 games, averaging 16 minutes a ball game. And Van Allen Lubin, is averaging right now 5.7 points per game and 4.3 rebounds. That is a useful big guy for the next coach of the Fighting Irish. The one that stands out is J.J. Starling, the talented combo guard, a top 50 prospect coming out of high school. He came out of Laporte Lalamere. Mike Bray put on one heck of a full-court press, on J.J. Starling, and to Mike and his staff's credit, they got the commitment, they got him signed, and Starling right now is the third leading scorer on this Irish basketball team at 12 points per game, shooting 42% from the field. The three-point percentage is a little low, 23 of 74 for 31%. It gives you 2.9 rebounds a ballgame. This is a talent that is still developing at this time. In today's college basketball or college football or softball or baseball, pick your favorite sport, it is so different to be a fan compared to 
just a few years ago, let alone 10, 15 years ago, when you had a transition of coaches, you had to worry about a player leaving, but a lot of times the player wouldn't leave because they would have to sit out a year. So it would be a while before they would be able to get on the floor. That didn't stop some players, but it did stop others. But things have changed so dramatically that you have to be concerned as an Irish fan that the one true building block that you have on this team for next year theoretically could leave Notre Dame after this season, find a new school, probably get a really big NIL check, and would be on the floor in early November playing for his brand-new team. That is a real possibility. Mike Bray, the head coach of the Irish right now, addressed recently guys like Starling and Lubin possibly looking around for a new place to play. And Mike was quoted as saying that, quote, absolutely one of the things I've talked to our younger players about and the three young men that we've signed is don't knee-jerk. I've been in this a long time. Give us a chance. You know, one of the big reasons, the underclassmen and the recruiting class, one of the reasons why you love Notre Dame and the education and a lot of those things. So, you know, while everyone will pull at those guys, and I get it, and you know you just don't knee-jerk and let us finish the semester academically, finish the season with the staff as we work with you to work and help you get better and meet the new guy, end quote. Now, Mike, it sounds like is going to be at least involved in some capacity in helping Jack Swarbrick pick the new basketball coach here at the University of Notre Dame, and he wants to make sure that this program is set up for success when the new head coach takes over. Bray was quoted as saying, Quote, I think that's always a good thing. And back in the day, you remember, you were able to hold on to a kid by not giving him his release. You could play games with them a little bit. That certainly is clearly a 180 now, brother. They can roll at any time, but 80s used to sit on the release and say, I'll give you a release, but you got to meet the new coach first, end quote. And that's another really good point. That particular change, sometimes the schools would not release the player. It would be a game, an unfortunate game, but a game. Different story now, totally different story. So here's a guy in Starling averaging 12 points per game, a tremendous talent. I think there is so much more to his game at the collegiate level that has not been brought out of him as of yet. Does he want to be a part of a rebuild? That's something that he has to ask himself. Even if he loves the new coach, he likes what he hears, does he want to be a part of a rebuild? Because I think we have to ask ourselves this, how difficult or how easy is it going to be for the new head coach to bring in players from the transfer portal? We have heard Marcus Freeman talk about the difficulties of bringing in undergraduate students. Irish hockey coach Jeff Jackson in his press conference earlier today said the same thing. It is difficult. So if it's going to be hard to bring in that type of player, then you're looking at bringing in a Marcus Hammond type player that might be here for one year. And eventually with the recruiting classes to come for this new head coach 
you start building this back up. I know just among some media members and fans, we have the conversation about the future of the basketball program, and people bring up Marcus Burton, the talented guard from Penn High School who recently became the all-time leading scorer in Penn history, and congratulations to Marcus for that great honor. And He's got Penn number two in the state right now and a legitimate threat to win the state championship this year. If someone downstate could beat Ben Davis, that becomes even a bigger reality. They can beat him. They almost did the first time, I guess, but that would sure help the cause. But there's a young man who has signed to play for Mike Bray at Notre Dame, and I think there is no doubt in my mind the next head coach will keep Marcus Burton around. I don't think he has anything to worry about. First off, he is a tremendous young guard, great scoring ability, can create for himself, which is something that is missing on this Notre Dame basketball team. But even beyond his talents, let's face it, the head coach that's going to come to town, you think the first thing he's going to do is cut bait with the young star from within the county and the city? No, that's that's not going to happen. Even if Marcus was a marginal player, that's not going to happen, and he is not a marginal player. He is much better than that. So unless the player wants to go somewhere else, I would be stunned if we don't see him in a Notre Dame uniform next year. But for J.J. Starling, there's going to be third-party contact, part of what college sports is today. Who knows when that conversation starts? We will say conservatively after the season. I'm sure there are going to be schools that will offer him opportunities via the NIL, write out a nice check, or someone, excuse me, will write out a nice check because of the upside. This is a great player to add to anybody's roster, and I'm sure keeping J.J. is going to be the top priority when that new head coach is hired. He has to show him his vision for Notre Dame basketball and not what it is five, six years down the line. It's what it's going to be next year, the year after, and if he's here for a fourth year, that year. That's going to be the important sell job. I think most college fans understand that this is a realistic possibility. He may not be back. I wanted to bring this out without any inside information. I'm just talking about a possibility because he's a really, really good player, and the vultures out there see a coaching change, so – it would be very smart of every coach that's in search of a guard to wander down this road. If Mike Bray was still the head coach of Notre Dame next year and a guy like J.J. Starlin became available at School A, he would be one of the individuals on his doorstep trying to bring him to Notre Dame. It is just how the process has changed. So when the season ends, it doesn't feel like the season will end And we hope that J.J. will still be a part of this Notre Dame basketball program. But it is a tough sell right now. It's going to be a bit of a rebuild. And the ability of the new coach to bring in more talent is an important part of this whole process. And we'll see if J.J. wants to be a part of this process and this program post-Mike Bray. We hope you stick around. But, hey, again, it's reality. Coaches or Whomever makes the contact, it's not supposed to be the coaches, I guess, at this point. But third-party conversation will happen, and we'll see if J.J. will be a part of this Irish basketball program next year with 
the brand new head coach. 5.50 is our time. Twitter question of the day is on the way from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Today's Twitter question of the day comes your way on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Streaming live at WSBTradio.com on the WSBT radio app. Let's recap yesterday's question that was available for you to vote on at Twitter via my account at 960 Sportsbeat. Which Super Bowl 57 matchup are you pulling for? Chiefs versus 49ers. Chiefs versus Eagles. Bengals versus 49ers. Bengals versus Eagles. Here are the results. Fourth place, a distant fourth place, 9.2% of the vote. It would be a battle of the number one seeds. Not a lot of love for this matchup. The Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. If that game occurs, it would be the first time in Super Bowl history that brothers would oppose each other in the Super Bowl. Travis and Jason Kelsey. Third place in the voting for the matchup that you would like to see in Super Bowl 57. We actually ended up with a tie for that second, third spot. 22.4% went with the Chiefs versus the 49ers and the Bengals versus the Eagles. And winning the vote, 46.1%. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals taking on Mike McGlinchey. Aaron Banks, Brock Purdy, and the San Francisco 49ers. It would be the third time in Super Bowl history. It would be the Bengals against the 49ers, the Pontiac Silverdome. First time they met, Joe Montana and the 49ers beat the Bengals. Then you had the infamous Joe Montana in the huddle. Say, hey, there's John Candy in the stands before he led them on a game-winning drive in the John Taylor touchdown catch with under a minute to go to beat the Bengals. I believe that game was in Miami. So this would be the third time the Bengals and the Niners would meet if it happens in Super Bowl 57. And you can hear the Super Bowl right here on WSBT Radio. We're two and a half weeks away. It'll be a 6.30 kickoff. Here is today's question, also from the National Football League. What should the Chicago Bears do at quarterback in 2023? Two choices. Number one, stick with Justin Fields as your starting quarterback. Choice number two, trade Fields and draft a quarterback at number one overall. Why do we even bring this up? Well, A, you have to research this as a general manager, and Ryan Poles did not draft Justin Fields, so he would have his opportunity to bring in to the organization his quarterback. Got to look at it. Probably won't happen, but any good GM has to look at every possibility. So what should the Bears do at quarterback in 2023? Stick with Justin Fields or trade Fields and draft a quarterback at number one overall? We'll have the results on tomorrow's program, but vote right now on Twitter at 960 Sportsbeep. 
We'll talk Notre Dame football with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football beat reporter, Tyler Horka, coming up next on WSBT. It is 6.09 on your home of the Fighting Irish in this weekend's NFL Championship Games. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett, joined by Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Check out the website, blueandgold.com. He also covers the Notre Dame women's basketball team, so we'll talk about the injury to... Dara Mabry and what it means to the Irish moving forward in just a couple of moments, but we will start this conversation with a little Notre Dame football talk. And the last time we talked to Tyler last Wednesday, he was in the process of going through all of new Irish quarterback Sam Hartman's games last year at Wake Forest and doing really cool analysis on all those games. And you can check it out at blueandgold.com. So I'm going to start with another Sam Hartman question for you, Tyler. And I'm really curious to get your thoughts after watching Hartman all these snaps from 2022. You know pretty much who Tommy Reese is as Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. Are you expecting to see a different looking Irish offense in 2023 with Tommy Reese now working with Sam Hartman compared to the quarterbacks last year? I think it'll be a little bit different just because Sam Hartman's obviously a different quarterback from Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine, but I think he really fits in really nicely with what Tommy Reese likes to do. He obviously likes to get his quarterback outside of the pocket a little bit, and I've watched eight of Sam Hartman's 2022 games so far, and Sam Hartman likes to live outside of the pocket at times. Now, that said, he is a pocket passer. He prefers to drop back stand in there for two, three, maybe even four seconds and get the ball out, however long it takes. But if you ask him to make a throw on the move, I've seen quite a bit of that, both by choice and by Wake Forest designing some rollouts for Sam Hartman. So I think Tommy Reese is going to do a little bit of that. And obviously we just watched the Gator Bowl with Tyler, Tyler Buckner. We saw him get out of the pocket quite a bit and make some really good throws on the run. Sam Hartman can make those same throws. And I would go as far as to say that he probably throws those balls a little bit better than Tyler Buckner does. So that's right up Tommy Reese's alley. But in terms of if he's got Sam Hartman and he's got Tyler Buckner, and those are the two guys that he's choosing between, and, and maybe we see both of those quarterbacks on the field at some point for Notre Dame this season, I think it's a seamless transition between those two guys. Now, obviously, Tyler Buckner is a way better runner. I mean, Sam Hartman only had 120 yards, I think it was, rushing this past season. But like I said, he is a preferred pocket passer. They weren't trying to run him a whole lot. He had the blood clot issue, so he's, they're probably not trying to get him out there and taking hits r- routinely as Tyler Buckner does. And, and look where that got Tyler Buckner last season, injured his non-throwing shoulder and was out for 10 games. So, But, but just in terms of when Tommy Reese is going to be dialing up this offense over the offseason and he's going to be you know, making some plays for both Tyler Buckner and Sam Hartman, I think they can do a lot of the same things. And that is really beneficial because we asked Tommy Reese going into the 2022 season how different it was managing a quarterback competition with Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine two totally different guys Drew Pine mm-hmm. you know, bless his heart he, he he made some plays improvising but 
you can't dial stuff up for him with his legs. I think you can do that for both Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, my guest. We heard head coach Marcus Freeman say throughout the season, I want to be able to run the football. In fact, he's talked about this is an offensive line, defensive line program. And no matter how good your quarterback is, you do want to be able to run the football. You want to have some balance. You want to be able to run it when the opposition knows you're going to run it, closing out games or maybe third down and fourth down and short. So Marcus has stressed he wants to run the football. He said that in a year in which Drew Pine was the starter for most of the year. Do you think message will change a little bit to Tommy Reese now that Hartman is the starting quarterback? I actually don't think it changes a whole lot, and I'll throw a couple numbers out at you. Last year, Wake Forest, this was their split per game. 38.8 rushing attempts per game, 36.4 passing attempts per game. So even with a guy like Sam Hartman, who can make all of the throws, I've for eight games now and eight out of the 12 for my rewatch that I'm doing, to make all the throws, likes to make all the throws. They still ran the ball more than they threw the ball. And I think that's a pretty normal split, probably one or two more rushing attempts than, than passing attempts. We may see some teams obviously kind of skew in the other direction these days. But at the end of the day, if you're running the ball effectively, you have a really good offense because that helps out the quarterback and it helps out the offense as a whole. The, the last two games that I've watched for the rewatch, um, I, I think it was Louisville and then today was NC State. Wake Forest could not run the ball in either of those games. And coincidentally, not a coincidence, I should say, Tim Hartman had three interceptions in both games because they got behind. He had to throw the ball a little bit more. I mean, I think he threw the ball 48 times in the NC State game and threw three picks. That's going to happen when you're throwing the ball that much and you're trying to force the ball to try to play catch-up. So as much as Notre Dame could not play catch-up with Drew Pine just because the offense was missing a little bit of something with its passing element – I don't think it wants to play catch-up with Sam Hartman either. Now it can, and, and it's better set up to play catch-up with Sam Hartman, but Wake Forest last year showed you that when you don't have that balance and you're not able to run the football, you're still going to be a pretty bad offense and you're going to have pretty bad offensive games. So the messaging is still, hey, we need to run the ball because now we have a guy that can really throw it, and if we are running the ball, then we're going to throw it really, really well, and Sam Hartman's going to look like the guy – that had close to 40 touchdowns either each of the last two years. And I bet you those interceptions go down a little bit too if Notre Dame runs effectively with Audric Estime, Logan Diggs, and that offensive line working the way it did down the stretch run of the season this past year. Well, you have to have the love the look of the running back room with Logan Diggs and Audric Estime in some order, maybe 1A, 1B on the depth chart. Chris Tyree took a little bit of a step back on the depth chart late in the year as those two young guys really took over. And, Tyler, there are a couple of guys right now in that running back room that were dinged up last year that have not had the chance to fully show the coaching staff what they can do, or really the fans more. They haven't really seen what a couple of these guys can do. Is there an outside chance due to the extreme amount of talent in the running back room that Tyree, who I think a lot of Irish fans have tons of confidence in, could be passed even by another player or two on the depth chart this year? Yes, I think there is that chance. And this past year was everything you needed to see to kind of jump to that. I don't want to call it a conclusion, but maybe that speculation, that assumption that 
maybe Chris Tyree is getting phased out a little bit. And I was really high on him going into the year. I think a lot of people were just because of his versatility. I mean, he still caught the most balls out of any Notre Dame running back. Uh, and I don't think it was particularly close. I can pull up the numbers really quickly. Chris Tyree caught 24 passes. That was tied for fourth on the team. Logan Diggs was the next among those running backs at 10 receptions. So that right there shows you that, I mean, he could do some things with the ball in his hands that maybe a couple of those other guys can't. But I just felt like as the season went on, game after game, there was just something missing. I I didn't see the same burst out of Chris Tyree. And as that was the case, you saw him get less and less carries, and it did become a a 1-2, a 1A, 1B type of punch with Estime and Diggs. So he's getting phased out. And then you mentioned maybe there's a couple other guys that can pass him. I mean, I'm really curious to see how Jadarian Price comes back from that Achilles injury. Just every time I see him on the field, I'm like, whoa, that, that guy looks like a monster. Uh, we haven't seen him play since the Blue Gold game because he tore his Achilles over the summer, not the, long thereafter. But, I mean, I saw this kid play in person down in Texas, in Denison, Texas, and, man, he, he can just do everything. And he can do some of those things in the pass-catching game that Tyree can do as well. So if he's a better runner of the football – taking it from handoffs, tosses, whatever it may be, and he can give you that pass-catching element, then, I mean, there's every reason to think that maybe he jumps to number three in the pecking order. And I would love to see what he can do maybe in garbage time of a game or, you know, in the fourth quarter of a game that's not particularly close. If he becomes the running back in a couple of possessions, I think he's going to wow people in a lot. And kind of similar in the way that Audric Estime did, uh, way back against Boston College in 2021, when he finally got his first carries and only carries of that season, you were like, whoa, this guy's going to be a menace. It turned out to be the case one year after, leads Notre Dame in rushing. I think he might be that guy. And then Notre Dame just signed Jeremiah Love, who's one of the best players in the class of 2023 for the Fighting Irish. He doesn't get here till the summer, but I think once he steps on campus and people see him and some of the things that he's going to do in fall camp, there's a couple guys right there that can really give Chris Tyree a, a run for his money. All that to say this, man, that's a, that's a loaded <laughs> running back room. Dylan McCullough has done a really good job in Notre Dame recruiting-wise, and, man, there's a lot of guys that can do a lot of really good things for them there. He is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, my guest on WSBT Radio. One question about the defensive side of the football, a breakout freshman season for Benjamin Morrison with the six picks. You still got that old Grizzly veteran Cam Hart back at the other cornerback spot this year. How good could this duo be in 2023? Yeah, I think they could be really good. And, and Cam Hart, he was one of those guys that I did my weekly pro football focus grades rundown from, from each game. And he just kept popping up toward the top, and he didn't really talk about him during the game. And that's because he didn't have the six picks like Morrison. And I, I would have Morrison have like five in a three-game span or something crazy. Everyone's going to talk about you if that's what you do. Obviously, Cam Hart wasn't getting those interceptions, but he wasn't being talked about because he wasn't being picked on. He, you couldn't really pick on him. Now, he'd give up a catch here and there, but he didn't give up the big one. I think you saw him give up a couple big ones in 2021. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, is this as good as this guy's going to get? The answer was no, because in 2022, I thought he was really good really solid corner. And then I mentioned Morrison a couple times there, and you mentioned Morrison. I mean, that's what he did as a true freshman. I don't think you can come in and say, yeah, he's going to get six picks every single year, and he's going to go to the NFL draft with close to 20 interceptions in a couple of years. That's just really hard because once people know your name, they're, not, they're going to stop throwing at you. Hmm. And the time that they do throw at you, I mean, what are the odds that you actually get an interception, right? But 
that just goes to show how good these guys are. When quarterbacks don't want to throw at you, and they're and offenses are lit, the coaching staffs of the, the opponents are literally changing their schemes because they know that they can't go to one side of the field and and maybe they can't go to the other side of the field because Cam Hart's healthy and playing really well as well. Man, that that is a headache for an offensive coordinator. I'll tell you that much. And for Notre Dame to have those two guys, uh, they, they have to feel really solid. Just hope those two stay healthy because, I mean, that's two of the eleven guys that you have on defense and they're out there pretty much every single play and quarterbacks are scared to throw their way. That, that's a really big deal for a defense. Tyler, the Irish women's basketball team is going to host Florida state tomorrow night and it'll be their first time this year, starting a different starting five with Dara Mabry going down with a torn ACL Sunday against Virginia. Let me ask this. What do you think the Irish lose? Not only for the rest of the regular season, but let's face it, there are some big opportunities for this team in March Madness. What would they miss with Dara Mabry just being a cheerleader the rest of the way? Yeah, they definitely miss a couple things. Even with as poorly as Mabry was shooting in the last handful of games, I mean, she was down between 10 to 15% from three the last, uh, I think it was five or six games. She still stretches the floor, and every time she shot, the opponents were like, oh, no, th- this thing could go in. And we got to, you know, put our defense out toward the perimeter more. We can't just clog the paint because this girl can shoot the ball. And if she starts pouring in three-pointers, we're in a world of hurt. That thought was always there for opponents. So you're not going to have that on the floor anymore. But I, I think Sonia Citron, I will say, she's shooting 48% from three-point <clears throat> three range. Excuse me. She's only shot 53-pointers. So she's made 24 of those. She needs to shoot more. So maybe you don't lose that stretching of the floor element. What we'll see as Sonia starts to shoot more, if she can knock them down with regularity once the sample size gets a little higher. But you also miss an on-floor, on-the-court presence, a leadership type of presence. You mentioned the word cheerleading. She's going to do a ton of that from the sideline, I guarantee you. We talked to Niel Ivey today, and she said, you're going to hear Dara Mabry. These players are going to hear Dara Mabry when we're in huddles or or when they're on the floor. She's going to be calling out some things that they need to do. But that's different from actually being on the floor. I, I can't tell you how many times a play is stopped, and you know how basketball teams do. They'll huddle up for a mm-hmm. quick second and say, hey, this is what we need to do offensively, defensively, whatever. As good as Olivia Miles is as a floor general and everything that she does as a point guard, Dara Mabry was the one in those little mini huddles kind of commanding things. You saw her take charge of those. She was the one setting defenses and saying, hey. And, and look, she was – sort of a secondary point guard at times too. Olivia Miles needs some rest here and there, or uh, maybe Olivia Miles needs a possession where she just plays off the ball because she can't have it all the time. I mean, we see the best ball handlers at every level do that, just kind of give the possession over to somebody else. And when when Olivia Miles did that, it would be to Dara Mabry. So you're missing a secondary point guard. You're missing the leader on this team, I would say, the number one leader. And then obviously you're missing that deep ball element because Notre Dame is not a very good three-point shooting team. And Mabry's slump went into that a little bit. But now you don't have Mabry at all. So the dynamic has completely changed. Hmm. You wonder if the Irish are going to see a lot of zones come the NCAA Mm -hmm. tournament. Hey, finally, Tyler, as you look at Thursday night and the new starting lineup, Against Virginia, I think Neil went with a bigger lineup at times. Is there an obvious choice for the person that will take Dara's spot in the starting lineup? Yeah, I, I mentioned Sonia Citron. I really think you slide her over to shooting guard and, and you let her stress the floor a little bit. And I, I would put the true freshman K.K. Bransford in there. She's played 
every game this season. She's averaging about 20 minutes per game, so she's given you some really solid, <clears throat> solid minutes. I think she's come into her own recently, uh, confident on offense now. She's always provided a little bit of something defensively. I think Notre Dame maybe gets a little better defensively with Dara Mabry out, a little longer, a little more length, uh, a little more um, aggressiveness with K.K. Bransford in there. So she would be my choice to start. But Neil Ivy today really talked highly of Jenna Brown. I think that would be the wild card, the transfer from Stanford, who we've only seen in 11 of 18 games this season. But she did just play 15 minutes and looked solid. She plays with a pretty heavy knee brace. She's had a couple knee injuries before. So that's why I'm a little reticent there to start Brown. And Bransford has played in every single game. But I think you see those two play a lot more. But then when you talk about the length, I think you see Lauren Ebo and Kylie Watson on the floor at the same time a lot. Maybe not to start games, but you'll see a lot of different rotations with both of them in playing the four and five when generally they're both a five. They're both centers. And then, obviously, the, the freshman who just enrolled early, Cassandra Prosper, she's going to start playing a lot, a lot more. She just played 19 minutes in the game that Mabry went out. That's a career high. I wouldn't be surprised if you see her play 20 to 25 minutes in some of these conference games coming up. Hmm. All right, for people that subscribe to Blue and Gold Illustrated or even for people that do not subscribe to Blue and Gold Illustrated, what can they expect over the next few days from you and the staff at blueandgold.com? Yeah, subscribers have seen eight of 12 games from Sam Hartman so far. I'm not going to lie to you guys. That takes a lot of work to to do those, converting Mm -hmm. videos into GIFs and and just trying to analyze, truly analyze every single play of Sam Hartman and and how those plays can kind of translate to South Bend and Notre Dame's offense. Those have been really good. On the message board, there's a thread with a link to every single one of those all in one place. Really easy to get to. You can sift through all of those. Obviously, we'll have premium observations of every single woman's basketball game. Patrick Engel does a really good job covering the men. I think uh, at this time last week, I was telling you to maybe look out for something uh, on the men's side. And then the very next day, Mike (laughs) Bray announced that he was stepping down. So never a dull moment, never a quiet time in the land of Notre Dame athletics. And we cover it to, for my money better than anyone else in the market. So definitely get the blue and gold.com for, for all things, Notre Dame athletics. There you go. Blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com featuring my guest, Tyler Horka, Tyler. Good to be with you. Stay warm. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good, Darren. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter and covers the Irish women's basketball team for blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com. 27 minutes after 6 o'clock. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat is being brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers. Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend Sports Fans. This Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how it feed Indiana. Org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings. 
have happy endings and by our sports update sponsor, Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Contact Sean Stevens in South Bend or Bob Borlick in North Liberty. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Here we go with today's My Five. Third baseman Scott Rowland was the only person voted by the baseball writers into the Baseball Hall of Fame yesterday. Which leads us to this question. Who are the top five players who have the best chance to be voted in next year? Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We'll start with center fielder Andrew Jones, who spent a majority of his career with the Atlanta Braves. He jumped up from 41.4% last year to 58.1% this year. Positive gain for Andrew. Jones hit 434 career home runs, but he was best known with that glove on his left hand and his speed in center field, his ability to read the ball off the bat, one of the best center fielders in Major League Baseball history. Next year will be his seventh year on the ballot. Early on, being on the ballot, There were so many big names that we had to cycle through. The voters had to deal with the steroid issue, Bonds, Clemens. Those players now have been pushed aside. And it's unclogged, I think, the amount of people that can now be focused on to get into the Hall of Fame. And I think Andrew Jones could be one of those individuals i'm not sure he's a hall of famer i'm a little more strict i think we let in too many marginal players i think it all changed in a couple of phases years ago when bill mazeroski went in that was highly questionable that lowered the bar and then i don't mean to be disrespectful to local baseball fans but harold baines was not a hall of famer And that Veterans Committee that had several White Sox connections on it forced him through. That watered down the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think Harold is in that very, very, very good category, but very, very, very good players should not be in the Hall of Fame. But things have changed. So for me, Jones probably is not. He's in that very, very, very good category, but he is trending in the right direction. Four. Another player that has a chance to get into Cooperstown next year, Joe Maurer. He had a five-year run with the Twins from 06 to 10, where he was one of the best catchers in history. Three batting titles, three gold gloves, four silver slugger awards, four all-star seasons, and was the 2009 American League MVP award winner. Maurer, a career hitter of 306 war has become a popular stat for voters and that is a stat formula that tries to put all the stats into one number so you can compare players well the war for Maurer in his career 55.2 that ranks him seventh 
among catchers. Just noting, the other nine catchers in the top ten with Maurer have been elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. A side note, right before Maurer was going to be drafted by the Minnesota Twins, Joe Maurer was our guest in our WSBT radio booth back in the day at Notre Dame Stadium. My good friend, former Notre Dame football recruiting coordinator, Bob Kamel, had a connection with Maurer, and we brought him up into the booth. He was a terrific high school quarterback. He was being sought after by programs across the country as a quarterback. And I think, if I remember correctly, Florida State would have been his choice, and Notre Dame was playing Florida State that day, and it was a blowout. I believe with Tyron Willingham as the head coach at Notre Dame Stadium. And I remember turning to Myron saying, so you probably could have been okay at doing this too, kind of nodding toward the field. And he just had a big smile on his face, but ended up being the number one pick in the draft. And he might become the first ever guest of game day sports speed at Notre Dame Stadium to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Players who have a chance to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame next year. First year on the ballot nominee, just like Joe Maurer, Adrian Beltre. Terrific offensive third baseman. 3,166 hits for Beltre. 477 home runs. His wins above replacement. I mentioned Maurer's 55.2. Beltre is 93.5. That number is third best among third basemen. Behind, a couple of good ones, Mike Schmidt and Eddie Matthews. A side note, if Beltre gets in, he'd become the fifth Dominican-born baseball Hall of Famer. The first was in 1983, the electric pitcher Juan Marichal. It then took 32 years for the next Dominican-born Hall of Famer, Pitcher Pedro Martinez in 2015, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. in 2018, and David Ortiz last year. I think Beltre has a great shot in the first couple of years on the ballot to get in. Sometimes these voters are stingy. They want to make you wait. Only the elite go in on the first ballot, so he may have to wait. Who knows? But those numbers tell me Beltre eventually will be a Hall of Famer. Number two. This one I don't get. I think the writers are missing the boat. I just don't understand their thinking. Billy Wagner, left-handed relief pitcher. Now he jumped up from 51% in 2022 to 68.1% this year. So we're getting closer. And the other day I gave the numbers across the board His numbers are better than a current Hall of Famer, the late, great Bruce Suter, who I admired. I think he's a baseball Hall of Famer, no doubt, was dominant in his era. Wagner blows him away in all categories, including 11.9 strikeouts per nine innings, and Wagner allowed under a hit and a walk per inning in his entire Major League career. I'm not sure if the voters just don't want to vote for a one-inning guy. Okay, I guess that's an argument. It's a fair one. Billy Wagner was a dominating force in the back end 
uh, bullpens, and he should already be in the Hall of Fame. He's got two chances left, 68% this year. Good shot he gets in next year. Number one. And more than anybody else, the player has the best chance to be voted into the Hall of Fame next year. I'm going to go with Todd Helton, who missed this year by 11 votes. He got 72.2%. You need 75%. Helton probably is being held back because he was a Colorado Rocky playing that offensive ballpark. You look at his numbers, a 316 lifetime hitter, won a batting title in 2000. 2,519 hits with 369 home runs was a good defensive first baseman as well. I'm sure the fact he was a Coors Field guy hurts him, but I think based on what we saw yesterday in the voting that Helton will get the call next year, and I think he could have been a pretty good – well, he was a football player actually at the University of Tennessee as well as a really good baseball player. So there you go, the five, I think, that have a chance to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame next year from 5-1, to one, Andrew Jones, Joe Maurer, Adrian Beltre, Billy Wagner, and Todd Helton. We'll talk some wagering in Sizzler next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Pet lovers, Mark. Show me the money. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. 6.50 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome back to the program. Darren Pritchett with you. It's time for a little Sizzler. We're going to Sizzler, our sports wagering segment here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It was a good night for Sizzler last night. Let's go through our suggestions from last evening. We started in the Big Ten and Illinois at home laying three against Ohio State at minus 110. The Buckeyes were coming off a very nice home win over Iowa as they tried to get their season back on track. Illinois got thumped by Indiana. Looking to get back over 500 in the Big Ten. I like the Illini in this matchup, minus three at minus 110. And Illinois came through, knocking off the Buckeyes by nine, 69-60. So you wager 10, you won 19-02. Suggestion number two from the Notre Dame-North Carolina State game. DraftKings Sportsbook had Notre Dame freshman guard, J.J. Starling, his over-under points for the game, at 10.5. Well, he averages, well, going into last night, just a tad bit over 11 a game. I thought this was going to be an offensive game. Sterling is a rising star on this team. So let's go over 10.5 for Sterling in the matchup against NC State. You bet 10, you win 18.33. And JJ really put up quite a few points late in the ball game, and he went well over that number. Sterling with 18 points last night. Suggestion number three from the mighty Big 12, Oklahoma and TCU. Total points in the game under 137.5 at minus 115. Well, TCU scored a lot. Oklahoma didn't. That's perfect. We needed 137 or fewer points to win the wager. The actual total was 131. TCU 79 and Oklahoma 52. 
almost like a Big 12 football game. The fourth and final suggestion last night. Bulls on the money line on the road against the Pacers. The Bulls were up in the second half but couldn't pull it off. We lost that particular suggestion. Pacers won 116 to 110. So we went 3 and 1 last night. We are 5 and 3 for the week and now we have eked our head over the 500 mark for the month of January at 26 and 23. We had an underdog pick last night. Has to be a plus number. I went with Notre Dame guard Cormac Ryan under four and a half rebounds. He ended up with four. The wager was plus 100, so you bet 10, you win 20. So that even worked out last night. I should probably retire, call it a week, but no, we can't do that. We have to come back and try again. Here's what we have tonight. Boy, I am putting all my chips into the middle of the table for Indiana. The Hoosiers at Minnesota. The Gophers are down two players tonight who average a total of 21 points per game. Indiana without head coach Mike Woodson. Oh, boy. I'm going Indiana minus 10 at Minnesota. The Gophers routed at home in their last game by Illinois. I'm assuming Indiana can do that. So let's go. Makes me nervous. But Indiana minus 10 at Minnesota. And also from that game... I'm going to say Indiana-Minnesota under 136 and a half points. My third suggestion, let's go deep into the Big Ten schedule tonight. I'm going to take the home team and the points. Nebraska plus three against Northwestern at minus 110. You wager 10, you win 19.09. So our three college basketball plays, Indiana minus 10, Indiana, Minnesota under 136 and a half points. Nebraska plus three against Northwestern. And my fourth suggestion is from the National Hockey League, a two-team parlay. Oilers on the money line against Columbus is minus 390. Kraken on the money line against the Canucks, minus 175. You put them together in a parlay, it's minus 103. So you wager 10 to win 1974. So Oilers and Kraken. A two-team parlay in the National Hockey League. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's the family inn. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt. Don't shop where new beginnings have happy endings. Have a great evening. We'll talk again tomorrow at 5 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.